Hello and welcome to the In Publishing podcast. My name is James Evely and I'm the editor of In Publishing. My guest this time is Claire Hodgson, editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan UK, which this year celebrated its 50th birthday. During her time at Cosmo, Claire has overseen a huge growth in its digital and social audience and, earlier this year, a major redesign of its print product, which remains a key platform for the brand. Claire tells us about the importance of moving with the times and staying relevant. And when you're a young women's brand, by default, you have to be a brand that embraces the new and responds to change, I think, with excitement and rises to the challenges you're faced with. Um, And if you're going to be relevant in the lives of a young audience, you have to be on the platforms they're using. She explains why the issue of trust matters so much. I, I want us to be that audience's kind of best friend. And if you're going to have that relationship with your audience, they have to be able to trust you. Um, And I think that, you know, our audience demographic in particular are sort of increasingly swayed by sincerity, I think, in the brands they engage with. And they just don't have time for performative behaviour. And I think they smell that a mile off. And she looks forward to Cosmo in the metaverse we could have Cosmo readers coming and being able to walk through the virtual off Cosmopolitan office in the metaverse. I think that level of access and interaction is, is it can't be anything other than exciting. But, um, you know, I think as we've talked about, it's kind of jumping in, playing around, being optimistic and excited about it, but also cautiously considering those other very important topics around accessibility, safety, and all of those things as well. Amongst many other things. Before we hear more from Claire, A quick word about our valued sponsors. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Air Business, a market leader in distribution and subscription management services for the publishing industry. Its end-to-end service includes subscriber acquisition and marketing strategy, worldwide distribution, digital mail and e-commerce fulfillment, and warehouse and freight logistics. For more information, visit airbusiness.com. Claire Hodgson, welcome to the In Publishing Podcast. Thank you, James. Lovely to be here. And congratulations on the Cosmopolitan brand hitting 50 years. That's very exciting. It is very exciting. And I have to say, I feel incredibly lucky to be the editor at the helm of such an amazing brand in its 50th year. Um, yeah, there was a, a real pinch me moment, I think, putting the um, issue together at the start of this year, which was the the exact 50th anniversary issue. Um, so yeah, that was that was wonderful. And we had the fantastic Monroe Bergdorf on the cover. Um, and it was a real, really lovely issue that gave us an opportunity to kind of celebrate the brand's heritage and everything it stands for. So it's been a wonderful year to be editor. And I believe you've had a redesign recently as well. Is that right? We have, yeah. I mean, I think the wonderful thing about anniversaries is it gives you a really good opportunity to kind of look back at your brand's heritage, what made it great over the last 50 years. But I think it also provided us with a real opportunity to think really long and hard again about what we are now and what we want to be in the future. Um, And yeah, from our June, July issue this year that came out in the summer, um, we had a a redesign for the first time in quite a few years, probably our biggest redesign, I would say, in around a decade. and it was very exciting. I have to say that issue, seeing it come out, it it just feels really kind of fresh and modern. And I think has just really brought the brand up to date. And and also, I think, married the print edition a lot more closely with what the brand identity is across our digital platforms as well. So so what were the pillars of the, the, the rebrand? Uh, what, what were the kind of main aspects and what were you looking to achieve? 
really a lot of the redesign was was all around the visual side of the brand to be honest with you I think um I feel really strongly that the content we create across all of our platforms has been fantastic and remains to be fantastic um and it's something I'm very proud of but I think that you know the aesthetic that a young woman um wants from a a print publication and, and from any brand really is changing very quickly and all of the time and while you can reflect kind of cultural changes very quickly in content sometimes it's harder to do that visually I think because you don't want to do that and kind of lose your brand brand identity so um, it was really important that we kind of looked at all of our platforms holistically and had a really good think about what we wanted to change and 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 so yeah a lot of that came down to the visuals making sure that the fonts we were using felt modern and up-to-date making sure the images we were using felt super diverse super inclusive inclusive and a bit more kind of fitting in the young in a young woman's life rather than something that felt was starting to feel a bit dated I think. And if you look back over the last 50 years obviously you've only been here for the last 10 or so I'm guessing but but what what would you say are the the biggest achievements of the brand since it launched in 1972 and I suppose how does Cosmopolitan today compare with, with the 1972 offering? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So as you say, I've been on the brand for about eight and a half years now, um, but a a, a reader of the brand for probably about 25 years, I suppose. Um, And I think that, you know, culture evolves and so much has changed over over the 50 years that this brand has has been around. Um, But I also think that there's a lot that has actually stayed the same. So I think many of our values as a brand are are still fairly consistent, you know, and our our title says it all, Cosmo. Um, you know diversity representation inclusion they've always been a part of this brand's sort of core DNA Um, and since our launch in 72 I think we've really championed that and whether that's been through you know quite groundbreaking covers like Boy George or Jonathan Van Ness um, or the features we've done on everything from LGBTQ rights to racism um, and obviously equality as well both in relationships and in the workplace so I think while some of that stuff has actually remained quite consistent for our brand over the last 50 years, I think what has obviously changed is how we are reaching our audience and how we're telling young women's stories. Um, so I think the, the the thing that's different for me as an editor now is we're thinking a lot more about Cosmopolitan holistically as a brand that spans mediums and platforms. Um, so yeah, kind of thinking back to eight years ago, um, even in that time, we've seen huge, huge changes in that regard. So, you know, back in 2008, we were celebrating, I think it was 176,000 users on the website. Um, but then in 2015, we started to really invest in the digital brand specifically. And now we're averaging over 17 million users to the website every month. So to go from 176,000 to 17 million in a month, as well as kind of having a huge social following, we have around 40 million people that come to watch our videos every month. So I think there's been so much development when it comes to how our brand reaches people and the platforms we're reaching them on. Well, well, those figures are fantastic. And um, audience engagement is presumably something which is done very differently now as opposed to 50 years ago for for very obvious reasons. Um, How does Cosmo go about engaging with its audience? Well, look, audience underpins everything, I think. Um, And and when you're a young women's brand, by default, you have to be a brand that embraces the new and responds to change, I think, with excitement and rises to the challenges you're faced with. Um, And if you're going to be relevant in the lives of a young audience, you have to be on the platforms they're using and offering relevant content to them in a relevant format on those platforms. So, 
we were one of the first launch partners on um, Snapchat Discover um, and then later on Snapchat shows as well. And then obviously over the last few years, we've adapted to, you know, everything and anything really. So Instagram stories, reels, IGTV, TikTok, um, the list goes on really. And that's as well as sort of playing with other emerging platforms as well along the way. Um, but I think really regardless of all of that, for me, it comes down to the fact you have to be your audience's best friend. Um, you know, you've got to use the tools at your disposal to get to know them, sort of hang out with them. I think really, you know, converse with them, challenge them, figure out what makes them tick. And I think ultimately it doesn't really matter what platform you've got an account on if you actually don't know how to use it authentically and engage with your audience in an authentic way. So how do you, you and your team, how, how do you go about, as you say, almost becoming friends with your audience. I mean, you know, we all have very busy lives. Um, publishing is, is nonstop. How, how do you find the time to make that engagement with your audience? It just has to be a priority. I, d- I don't think it, it's just interwoven in everything we do, really. I think that, you know, anyone who's working at a media brand and feels like they have to set aside time to get to know their audience, I think it it should just be part of all day every day really I think especially you know in in the sort of digital age we're in um you just have so many touch points with your audience I think obviously um there's always been things like you know reader focus groups and panels they've existed for for decades and and there's still value to those things absolutely there's something so special about meeting an audience member in real life an event or on the street or you know in any real life scenario but there's also something really fantastic about having real-time data on your website and what your audience are are reading and what they're interested in and what pages they're spending the most time on um you know having being able to have that constant social connection with your audience so I think it's it's just part of what we do as a team I'm I'm lucky that I have a fantastically um cross-platform team that are just really strong across everything from you know print to digital to social um so they I think it comes very naturally to all of them to do that anyway um and and it's getting that balance I think between listening to that data and hearing what your audience are telling you but also kind of using, you know, I, I don't think by any stretch the the sort of, um, you know, the age of the editor is obsolete at all. You know, I, I have some fantastic experts in their respective fields on my team. And part of the reason we're all in the jobs we're in is that we've been doing this for a long time. And it's our job to be very keyed into what an audience want. And I think, you know, data is fantastic. And I think um, it would be foolish for any brand not to sort of see their their reader data as gold dust but I think there's there's still a huge huge amount of value to be had in that kind of editorial insight and and sometimes I think as an editor you can actually predict what your audience wants better than they can. All right any examples of that? It varies massively really you know I think there are things that our audience tell us, you know, I, I've sat in reader focus groups before where there's been certain cover stars people have said they wanted or, you know, certain top, they, they've said things like, oh, you know, we're bored of reading kind of celebrity news, for example. Um, but, you know, entertainment is is our biggest section on the website. It's very closely followed by beauty and by sex and relationships, which are, are huge audience sizes for us. But people love entertainment. They love celebrity. They love TV. They love movies. It's kind of embedded in everyone's lives. And what I would say is that our approach to celebrity and entertainment content is very considered. Um, 
I think I I feel very passionately that our entertainment content is you know positive and that it's a nice it's how I feel about the brand generally I want it to be a nice place to be um, for anyone that's spending time with us and so part of that for me is making sure that our coverage feels positive on the most part and I don't mean necessarily you know always complimentary of people but that it's fair and it's considered and that it's fact-checked and that it's not too gossipy and it's not too salacious and I think you know, there have been moments over the last few years, particularly with the pandemic and and some of the things that have gone on in the entertainment industry. You know, we were worked very closely over the years with Caroline Flack, for example. Um, she'd been a cover star for us many times and a lot of people on the team had had built up a, a relationship with her. And, you know, when she very sadly passed away, news of what may or may not have happened and the, the, the information around it was everywhere on the Internet. Um And within about an hour, I just put a message out to my team and I said, we're not covering this. I'm not interested. I don't care if this is going to deliver us huge volumes of traffic. I'm not engaging in a traffic chasing race with these other brands um, to cover a story that actually is quite upsetting. Um, And, you know, it was the loss of a really wonderful woman who our audience cared a lot about. So we think about those things a lot. And that's very important to me. And I think that while sometimes audience audiences might tell you, you know, they want to just read constantly 6,000 word features that are really in-depth reports, which we do produce and they do do very well for us, which is why we've always been a staunchly proud features magazine. Um, we do also know people just want a break and they want to be entertained and they like that content. So we do it, but we try and do it mi- with mindfulness, I think, and, and really consider our approach. Uh, and your treatment of, you know, the Caroline Flack, um, you know, the sad story of her, her passing. What feedback did you get from your audience? Because as you say, demand globally or on the Internet was huge for information. Did did anybody say, why can't you give us more or did they respect where you were coming from? No, but I mean, to be honest with you, in instances like that, that's about doing the right thing as an editor. We didn't put out you know, a message on our social media platform saying, hey, we're not going to cover this because we don't think it's right. For, for me, those decisions, it's it, it's not even about, are we going to get great audience engagement and should we put, you know, there wasn't even that consideration. It was just about doing the right thing. So um, I think a lot of our audience won't even have realised we took that stand. They just will have kind of thought, oh, okay, Cosmo's not covering it. Um but I think that was equally important for me that just because we'd taken that decision, we didn't weaponize that decision to also be some kind of uh, brand opportunity either. It was just the right thing to do. So, um, I mean, there was certainly no criticism of it. And I think a, a lot of times in the day, in this day and age, that speaks volume in and of itself. And I think the brand growth we have seen over the last few years and the way we do approach situations like that, I think that is the telling you know, response that we need from our audience to say that they, you know, respect us as a brand and can see that generally we're trying to do the right thing and make the right choices. Uh, and would you say that boils down to, I suppose, the issue of trust that, you know, people trust you to toe, a, well, I was about to say toe a particular line, but that's sort of negative, trust <laughs> you to um, present things in a certain way? I think so, yeah. And I appreciate you bringing up the the question of trust, actually, because it actually means I get to share with you one of my favourite facts about the brand, um, which is actually that we did a reader survey um, last at the end of last year, and we actually found out that ninety six percent of our readers trust what they read and see across our brand, um, which for me in this day, I just I think it's phenomenal. It's one of the things I'm most proud of. I mean, when we had that feedback. 
back. I just, that's the best compliment I think you can get from an audience because as a team, integrity is so important to us and building that trust is so important to us. Um, I think because we're a brand that talks about, you know, very emotional and personal issues sometimes. And as I said, I, I want us to be that audience's kind of best friend. And if you're going to have that relationship with your audience, they have to be able to trust you. Um, and I think that, you know, our audience demographic in particular are sort of increasingly swayed by sincerity, I think, in the brands they engage with. And they just don't have time for performative behavior. And I think they smell that a mile off. So I think the thing is with trust is it's built over time. And I think, again, to come back to it being our 50th anniversary, I think it's it's meaningfully integrating people from all walks of life onto your pages and onto your platforms regularly and not just on special calendar dates. Um, and I think it's also giving honest and real world you know, recommendations about products or, that, as I said, are provided by experts um, who aren't just kind of churning out clickbait. And I think it's it's also about having clear and transparent processes when it comes to, you know, labelling sponsored content um, and, and all those sorts of things. I think all of that feeds into trust. Um, and to go back to, you know, the conversation earlier, I think it's it's about constantly evaluating and working on your moral compass as a brand and as a team that work on that brand and I think you have to be clear on what you stand for and believe in it um because I think if you don't believe in it then the why would your audience believe in it uh, when you take on new members of staff in the editorial team um how do you imbue that um you know those ethics into them because presumably you know a lot of people will come on board and maybe come at it from a different angle you know they want to put out something which will get millions of views so how, how do you go about ensuring that doesn't happen I mean, there's a, a variety of ways. I think that, I, as I said, our, our team are very connected to the data. We're not a brand that is rewarding and incentivizing individual writers based on traffic performance. You know, all of our departments know their traffic targets. They kind of know roughly the direction we want to be going in, which is growth, um, to maintain the amazing growth we've seen. But I, I also feel that, you know, I want us to be doing the incredible long read investigations we do that obviously are quite often not going to get quite the same traffic volume as the latest celebrity story might but that absolutely does not make that other piece of content any less important it's in a lot of ways more important and so I think that's part of it is I think you know working really kind of carefully with your team so that they do understand the brand strategy and they understand the move direction of movement but also they're not kind of in this competitive space where they're just chasing numbers because that's not our goal our goal isn't just chasing numbers it's creating great content for our audience and creating a good variety of content for our audience um so I think that's very important in kind of growing that with them and some of it's also just you know through editing you know I'm, I'm as I've said I'm very lucky that I have some fantastic you know senior support stuff or staff around me um and all of us are just very careful I think you know when new writers come in it takes time to adjust to the the cosmopolitan tone you know to get that balance between yes you want to be chatty and funny and relatable and you want the reader to feel included in what you're talking about and not feeling talked down to um but I think obviously you also don't want to skew it too far in that direction because we are trained journalists trying to write 
well-informed, factually correct and intelligent copy as well. So a lot of it's working with new staff on kind of finding their voice, uh, finding, I think, finding their voice in our voice as a brand, I think is how I would describe it. And, and that's a process and it takes time, but it's an important thing to invest in for, you know, the, the development of the people who join the team, but also the development of our, our brand and our relationship with our reader. And the reader, how would you characterise the typical Cosmo reader? I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, who are they? What, what, I mean, young women, I suppose, is the straight answer. But, you know, what's important to them? What are their concerns? Uh, and I suppose, what do they want from you as a brand? Yeah, I mean, our our audience is so varied and so diverse. I hesitate to even use the phrase young women on a regular basis now, because I think we are such a gender fluid brand and the content we create is so beyond those kind of cisgendered heterosexual stereotypes. And I think the the fantastic thing about our brand and particularly where we're at now is we are for everyone and everyone is welcome here. And I, I just hope that everyone feels sort of seen when they engage with Cosmo. And, and I think that's what they want from us. I think in a world that is so divisive, so scary, so confusing, and so exclusionary to a lot of people, I kind of want us to be that safe space for them, I suppose. So, you know, somewhere where we can challenge them, entertain them, ask hard questions, um, but also make you laugh, I think. And I suppose in that regard, I, I think, you know, in the way I would find it hard to kind of encapsulate our reader now because they're so so varied and so multifaceted that's kind of how I would like to see us and our brand as well so I think it's a process of kind of evolving together and, and mirroring and I think a lot of that again comes back to our values over the last 50 years in that we are a brand that uh you know is kind of bold and brave and we aren't afraid to talk about the things that others might be so yeah it's it, it's an interesting one because I think of course a lot of people would still see Cosmopolitan as a brand and think, right, that is very much, you know, a stereotypical 16 to 35 year old who is going out clubbing on a weekend, loves her fashion, loves her beauty. But I think, you know, the younger generations, you know, millennials through to Gen Z and moving on to Gen Alpha, they're not, they're not as homogenous as that, you know, they, they are such a varied audience with varied tastes. And I think, a lot more free of stereotypes and kind of um, less siloed, I think, than previous generations were. Understood. This is probably going to come across as a very stereotypical question, but I mean, do you, do you get lots of men visiting the brand, or is it predominantly women? I'm presuming it is. I mean, we don't tra- we we don't track gender, to be honest. And I think it's again, you know, we're talking in gendered terms here. We uh, there's a huge growing population of non-binary people who visit our brand. You know, um, as I said earlier, we had the phenomenal Monroe Bergdorf on our 50th anniversary cover, who is the out and proud trans woman. Um, and I think that that there's a a much broader spectrum, I think, of gender identity, sexual identity now. So yes, I would say our the majority of our audience identify as women. Um, I, you know, there are also a lot of non-binary people, gender fluid people, and probably, you know, men as well who are engaging with our brand. Uh, and what are, what are their concerns? What, you know, what, I mean, there are an awful lot of kind of culture war issues at the moment, you know, being mm-hmm. hyped by people, politicians included, um, which, which kind of steer towards some of the issues you're talking about. Does that, does that show itself in the concerns of your readers? It it does. And I think it's 
as I said, you know, the the world is such a, a scary place to be at times at, at the moment and, and does feel very divided in a lot of ways. And I think that if we tried to tackle every issue going on, I don't think any of us would ever leave the office. I think we'd just have to set up camp here and, you know, load ourselves with caffeine to just never sleep. So I think our job as a brand and my job as an editor has been trying to drill down into the issues that matter to our audience within that, or certainly the ones we think as a brand we have the most authority on and the biggest possibility to to change or to just, you know, raise awareness of, shine a light on. So, you know, I think some of the things I'm really proud of in that space that we've done has been you know in the last year we helped uh the charity refuge change a law um which made it illegal to threaten someone to share nude images of them um and i think we've consistently sort of campaigned for better awareness and resources for domestic abuse and sexual assault survivors as well um and we've actually very recently just worked with the bbc on a, an investigation into the deep fake porn epidemic which um is honestly mind-blowing but it means that right now someone could take a a random picture of a woman just living her life that happens to be on the internet or a social media platform somewhere spend as little as five pounds and have it turned into a very convincing piece of pornographic material by an automated bot which can obviously then go on to be distributed across the internet and right now that is completely legal and it's very very hard to um charge anyone with an offense in that field so those are the things for me when we talk about the world our reader are living in that that we're kind of laser focused in is obviously what is what is affecting young women and how can we make a difference uh, and are those issues which uh, come to you from the readers or is this you know as a, a, an editorial team very much in touch with your readers that you're aware of and you run with so w- w- how do these campaigns start off it it's a combination of both i would say you know we certainly know our readers well enough and listen to to what they're telling us enough to know how important these things are um you know how how their safety is has been impacted and their sense of safety over the last few years I think has been we know how important that is to them it's important to all women and I think you know having a a team who very much reflect the audience we create content for is very helpful in that regard because you know we're a a great melting pot to start with and think well what are we worried about what do we care about but I mean to be honest with you we go from that place of getting a broad sense of what our reader cares about but I would say particularly with those long read investigations that are kind of print-led um they are something very much that come from the team um you know I've I've got some truly phenomenal writers and editors on my team that have won many an award for their journalism and it's probably one of the great joys of my job really is is being able to sit in the features meetings we have every couple of months and just hear the incredible ideas that the team bring you know they are they really take their job seriously and they are so tapped into to what is going on in the world and I think that's where we definitely do lead with editorial expertise over what we think our reader want, because obviously what our reader wants, when we talk about print, you know, what our reader wants right now is going to be very different in six months. And a lot of the time, that's how far ahead we're planning. So it's really important that we as an editorial team are way ahead of where our audience are at, you know, looking at what trends are happening, what conversations are happening, what laws are looking at being passed and what emerging technology there is, what's happening in politics. 
and kind of like projecting that forward I think you know how is what are the ramifications of that going to be in three months six months 12 months and so actually a lot of these ideas um you know the deep fake porn piece um our, our writer Jenny who wrote that also wrote a fantastic piece um last year around um men who are trading nude images of their partners without their partner's knowledge um called the new traders which actually was just featured in a, a panorama documentary as well so that's how far ahead they are um and I think that's that's one of the the best things about working on this brand and with that team is that we've really got to push ourselves to be kind of trend forecasters and very future focused as well as quite bizarrely also thinking very much about today and what's going out on our website and on our social platform so it's quite a, a dual role in that sense I mean some of those issues you're you're you know taking on the campaigns they're very dark you know it's you know uh, horrible really so it must be very well it, it's thrilling for you when you make a difference I suppose and when you you raise these issues up in terms of people's consciousness I mean, absolutely. And uh, and we feel the responsibility of the brand we work on. You know, at the end of the day, Cosmopolitan is still the biggest young women's brand in the UK and is obviously has huge clout internationally, a huge international presence. And when you've got a huge print audience and you've got 17 million readers coming onto your website every month, you know, you, you have a responsibility to talk about the tough stuff. And I, I think that's one of those things that I think I'm, I'm always keen for people to to understand about our brand. And if you haven't picked up a copy of Cosmopolitan in a while, or you haven't been on our website in a while, just have a look at it. Because I think that people forget that we are producing, I truly believe, some of the best journalism happening in the industry, particularly as it relates to young women and, and what they're experiencing in their lives. Um and it does feel fantastic it's you know I almost wish of course that we didn't have to talk about these things and they didn't exist but unfortunately they do and it is very rewarding I think when we know we've educated our audience on something that they should be you know aware of and that's a consideration for them or that we've made a difference in their lives and I think as I talked about earlier I think it's it's one of the things I love about this brand is that you do have the freedom to have these very very dark and in-depth conversations and then the next minute kind of go you know hey well what are you up to on a Friday because actually there's a great new mascara that's come out that you might want to try and (laughs) and that that's what it's like being a a young woman and a young person today you know you can be you can be all of those things you can be someone who cares deeply about politics and you can also be someone who wants to wear a great lipstick that isn't going to rub off on your wine glass. Okay now how is your editorial team organized you're obviously a multi-platform brand we've we've spoken about that you know, you've got a team of people. Does everyone work across everything or do you specialise um, per platform? Um, it's, well, it's a mixture of those things. So it's the team is roughly divided into topic verticals, really to make sure we've got the right expertise and depth of knowledge across each area. So, you know, beauty, features, entertainment, fashion, etc. Um, so those content teams, yes, they, they do work brand wide, producing content across print and the site, um, as well as supporting on social and video and those kind of more multimedia aspects. So that means that each area has really got the ability then to tailor content accordingly and decide what's going to work best where um and obviously in some joyful cases what works best everywhere in some way shape or form um and we've really found over the last few years that that model's helped us work far more efficiently and collaboratively as a brand but we then also have a phenomenal video team who do all of our filming and producing and oversee strategy there um and a social team who work across our eight social platforms as well who create content specifically for those platforms so it's kind of a lot of people working very cross-platform but 
within each of those areas, very, very kind of um, skilled experts as well in their areas. Uh, and we talked about print. Well, we talked a lot about print. Where, where does obviously launched the print title in 1972? It's still obviously an important part. So, what, what does print bring to the cosmopolitan mix? You know, both now and in the future. What what's special about it? Oh, so much, and it's 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 you, it's so important to our brand. Um, and you know, our passion for print has remained consistent you know print print is our shop window and it has a huge halo effect on the rest of what we do as a brand in terms of you know brand recognition and authority um I don't know there's just something about print I think that just lends itself to quieter time and deeper engagement I think it's it's just a different experience um and it was print that first got me into this industry um I spent most of the the middle of my career working in digital for about 10 years but it was it I love print and I love I love the immediacy and constant connection you get in digital. But there's just something special, I think, about holding a magazine in your hand, you know, creating a stellar cover, um, you know, editing a six or eight page features report. Um, you know, I think it's it, it's just it's just special. Um, and for me, as I said, you know, print has just remained a really important part of uh, of our ecosystem as a brand and our paid for readership was actually up in this ABCs um paid subscribers increased by 28% last year digital edition sales grew by 89% so um yeah i think there's a there's a very strong a very strong future for print and i think it's it's going to be a, a very important part of our brand for a, a very long time to come and, and digitally, you've obviously had seen huge growth over the last five or six years, both in your digital audience and your social media audience. What what has been the strategy, you know, to, to grow that audience? So you, you joined, I think, Claire, did you say in 2015, roughly? And it's grown a lot since then. What 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 strategy did you bring to the table? I think it's, I can bring a strategy to the table, um, and I have done, but I think it, investment is so important you know you you can't make something for nothing and investing in great people particularly um it is just essential uh, you, you know you can't just throw a print story up on a website and expect it to perform um and you can't just churn out shopping galleries and expect them to sell products you can't just let a bot automate your social media feeds you need brilliant people who are passionate about digital media and who are willing to really evolve upskill and just muck in i think with with your brand and what you're doing um so i think it's as we've kind of so was it sorry to interrupt, was that was that a conscious um, decision then by Hearst when you joined or soon after to actually employ more people in into the social and digital side? It, it it was a you know I can't speak more broadly for Hearst's strategy and kind of what their approach. My experience was that I think we saw good growth. You know we we hired a couple of new people. We saw very fast growth. And I think it was a no brainer, really. You know, if you if you're if you're investing in a brand and it's doing well, invest more. I think it's that simple. Um, You know, obviously, there are lots of other things at play as well. But that that's ultimately what it came down to, I think, is that we could see the potential in the brand and how it was going and the direction it was moving in. And so it was definitely important to us that we were very serious about the digital growth of the brand and thought about the website very much as a pure play almost operating within the cosmopolitan brand i think 
for a long time, magazine websites were just seen as kind of add-ons to the magazine. And I think as time has gone on, people have understood that you can't just treat a website that way. You can't treat social media that way. They are all different and they are all their own mini brands within your overall brand. You know, the content or your approach that we have in print is different to what our content and approach might be sometimes on the website and is different to our content and the approach we take with that content on Snapchat versus Instagram versus Twitter. So I think that was a big change was really starting to see each of these platforms and mediums and iterations of our brand as kind of connected and separate in their own way so that we could really specialize and hone in on what was performing on each of those areas really. And which channels have worked work particularly well for Cosmo? They all bring something different to the table. You know, if 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 you're if you have a healthy brand, you shouldn't be able to answer that question with one answer. You know, it's it's not. I don't think it's a, a safe brand strategy to go. You know, Prince bringing all the money to the table, or actually we're just completely reliant on search traffic, or everything's coming through our social platforms. You know, we're just push, pumping stuff out on stories, and that's where we get everything from. Because things change all the time. You know, in in media, it could be, you know, a change in distribution that means paper prices go up, which could change the impact. You could have a Google algorithm change that will change the SEO impact that you're seeing on your website. You might have a, a core update on a social media platform that's changing the way content is displayed in a feed. So it's, I'm happiest with our brand when all of those things are kind of firing on all cylinders basically and they're all bringing something different to the table which means a lot of plate spinning because you can't just put your attention on one thing um but yeah all of our platforms all of our mediums I think bring something equally important to the table in some way shape or form and with social media is your overriding goal to build brand awareness is that the what it's all about Yes and no. I mean, it varies from platform to platform. You know, I think, you know, on Snapchat, we see phenomenal video views. Um, so that brings something really important to the table. You know, we see different, some platforms drive more traffic than others. Some platforms drive more engagement than others. And other platforms are really good at driving revenue, whereas other platforms don't even have a revenue model built in. So they're, they're all, again, even, even when you drill down into social platforms, and even, you know, if I look at a platform like Instagram, looking at the mediums within that one platform, you know, looking at Instagram stories, IGTV, reels, all of those different elements, they're all bringing something different to our overall brand on Instagram as well. So it's, yeah, there's a lot of variety and a lot of mix when it comes to content and what performs, but they've all got their place, I think. I had a quick, before we started chatting, I had a quick look at your YouTube channel. It mm-hmm. looks like you've got a lot of fun franchises going on. Was it Text on the Beach, Up Close, Spill the yep. Tea? Most likely to. And that looks like a lot of fun and huge numbers of views as well by the looks of things. Yeah, it's a video again has been an area we've just invested massively in. You know, when I joined um, eight years ago, we didn't even have a dedicated video head. Um, You know, video, the the bulk of video we were doing was stuff that was happening at, you know, movie junkets that everyone was getting access to or they were, you know, behind the scenes cover shoot videos. And that was kind of it, really. Um, so while we had a, a video offering, um, it was fairly nascent and we brought on a fantastic video lead um, about six and a half years ago. And as I said, we've, we've gone from, you know, almost building that from the ground up to now have two video heads as well as an amazing um, central team of contributors in the business that all work very closely with Cosmo um, to hit 
yeah, averaging over 40 million video views a month. And I think that has all come down to great content. You know, as I said, it's you having the expertise there. So we have a really fantastic content team who can figure out, you know, what shows are people going to be watching in two months? What talent in those shows do we want to get access to? Having a fantastic video team who can create brilliant video that looks polished and is engaging. And then a really strong social team who can give really solid advice on what platform should this go out and how are we going to sell it? Are we using, you know, the YouTube community tool? Is it optimized properly for here? Which aspect ratio are we cutting in? All those things make a difference. So yeah, videos, video's been a lot of fun for us. Um, as you said, we've got some really fun franchises and it's been one of the really sort of fantastic parts of growth in our brand over the last eight years. Um, so what are we right in saying that the secret of success in social media is investing in in, in talent uh, and not just trying to recycle everything from one to the other? Yeah, I mean, I would be a very rich woman if I could tell you the secret of success on social <laughs> media. Um, I don't know if, you know, our dear Mark Zuckerberg even knows the answer to that. Um, yeah, I think there's a combination of things. I think, yes, investing in people, you know, you see it with other brands as well. You know, there's some fantastic sort of brands out there that you wouldn't expect to be great at social media but actually are very very funny at it because they've brought on great people and I think we have a fantastic head of social a really good deputy social media manager and a team who's just really engaged with social media themselves so who love contributing to it whether it's our beauty team or entertainment team um so I think I think the the investment in people is important I think you know people that have got an eye for social media genuinely use social media themselves because a lot of people don't they just see it as an add-on you know when I think about our social audience we have over 5.6 million people following us across our eight social platforms so really that in and of its its own brand you know our head of social who's managing all of those platforms that is a huge responsibility um and like you said yeah not, not just recycling stuff you know if, if you're smart with content and I think if a piece of content is is right for it to do this with there's absolutely no reason why you can't create one piece of content and use that across multiple platforms whether that's print the website multiple social media platforms and and there are very happy times where something actually just translates perfectly across those things um but even in those instances yeah you're constantly thinking but which which bit are we promoting on this platform and is the design going to be a bit different and how are we optimizing it and i think treating even one piece of content that travels across platforms treating it almost as a new piece of content on each of those platforms is very important because I think you know anywhere that's still just kind of using automated feeds cropping one piece of content eight ways and just plugging that out everywhere I think it's very hard to to make a success of that. Now Claire in terms of revenue streams I believe e-commerce is a growing revenue stream for you for yourselves is that is that the case e-commerce? Yeah I mean I, what I would say with e-commerce content and its importance is I would say it comes down to great, useful, helpful content. You know, that underpins what Cosmo is all about is saving our reader time, saving them money, helping them make good choices. Um, and certainly e-commerce has been a very happy, natural kind of side effect of that. So, uh, And what have been your key learnings in the area of e-commerce? You know, I don't know what it was like six years ago. Is it something which has grown rapidly for you? And how how has the how has your strategy um, evolved over the years? I mean, it, it was quite an organic growth, to be honest with you. So I think fr from the outset, it, it really did just come down to creating great content, and I think that 
in and of itself is kind of what has made it so successful for us because yes we have shopping galleries but also a lot of our best performers are actually product recommendations that are sat in wider features how-tos explainers um and I think making sure that that was the case and that we really sort of maintained our editorial integrity has been so important um you know I always refer my friends to e-commerce content on our website because I know it is backed up by genuine editorial recommendation and testing rather than just chasing revenue um and again that comes back to I think having really good departmental expertise in those areas so that actually you know someone on my team would know what material might make a sex toy unsafe or which product is overpriced on the beauty shelf so our audience trusts that I think um and yeah it's worked for us I think having that expertise the trust there the authenticity um we've sort of grown e-commerce really from the ground up and even looking at 2019 versus this year um we've actually managed to grow our revenues through e-commerce by 180 percent over that two-year period so it's been a really great great growth part of our brand and I'm just very happy that we've sort of managed to carry our readers along on that journey and help them make purchase decisions in a in a way that they trust so, so what would you say for e-commerce success what are, what are the kind of key do's and don'ts so for let's say another publisher looking to get into e-commerce what what would your advice be to them I think again it comes down to just think lead with the content I think it, it's I know everyone Everyone is wanting to find revenue opportunities, but I think that to come back to our early discussion about trust and authenticity, if someone feels like they are being sold to, it's the same as having an annoying pop-up ad that keeps flashing up or a door-to-door salesman knocking on your door every day. I think you start to lose faith in whether a product's actually any good or not. And I think you can, you know, have have tons of e-commerce content, but actually if your click-through rate to the product isn't very high and if your purchase rate from the click-through isn't very high you're not going to make any money anyway so it really comes down to building out a team of experts I think people that have actual strong insights industry knowledge can provide really solid recommendations creating great content and then thinking actually well if I'm reading a piece on you know what trends are coming up in autumn I'm probably going to want to have some opportunity to shop those trends because it's going to save me time. I think leading from the content is the way to do it. I think shopping galleries serve a purpose and we have plenty of shopping galleries, but I think that they, they're they in a mix with lots of other content types as well. And I think it's, I would definitely stress the importance of kind of, you know, maintaining authenticity while you're increasing scale of output as well. And in terms of where Cosmopolitan is heading, you've obviously celebrating your 50th birthday this year. How do you see it evolving over the next few years? Well, it's, it's, it's so difficult to say, isn't it? Because I think, you know, I look at the last 50 years and so much has changed in the media landscape and I think will continue to change. I think, I think it will just become so much more than a magazine. I think, I, I truly believe that the print offering will be here for a long, long time to come. Um, but I'm also really confident that we'll keep evolving and expanding to to be that and and a lot more. You know, we are a very future facing brand, um, fully immersed in the digital landscape our readers are living in. And, and I love the endless opportunity, really, that that provides. I think, you know, the thought that someone might sit on their sofa taking a screen break with the magazine or be walking through our office virtually in the metaverse or sitting in a real world room with us at a reader event. Um 
it's it's just such an exciting time to broaden cosmopolitan really i think as a multifaceted experience well i must ask you about the metaverse uh, any any plans in that area Yes, actually. Um, Yeah, I mean, we touched on earlier, obviously, kind of expanding onto new platforms. And and that's such an important part of what our brand does. And it's obviously very important to a young audience. So we discovered actually over the last couple of years that around 70% of our readers have heard of the metaverse and actually 64% of them are already interested in it or exploring it. Um, So that really led us to start thinking, what is the next stage of, you know, the internet going to be and the people's experience engaging with our brand um and so yeah it felt like a, a really natural step for a brand like ours to explore the metaverse and figure out what our, our brand was in that space so we've built a demo um and that'll be taken out to market over the the next week so the concept is basically um i, I we've penned it the cosmo summerverse um so essentially the premise is that it's going to be summer all year round. Um, so, which I, I love, um, you know, so it's got features like a roller disco, music gigs, um, there's a beach and a pool party and the sort of game elements. There's there's all sorts going on there. Uh, so the idea is that we're, you know, want to essentially work with a partner on kind of building it out even more really. Um, you know, whether that's a beauty and fashion brand kitting our users out for a cover shoot, a music provider creating the soundtrack to our roller disco or a food brand serving snacks in the cafe. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think there's so much opportunity there. Um, and how will people access it? How will your readers access it? Will they need a headset? So it's accessible through um, a platform called Roblox. So we decided to work um, with Roblox because they're actually have a really growing demographic in sex in the 16 to 24 year old market on their platform um so yeah it's kind of no surprise really that we decided they seemed like a good platform to work with so I've actually been getting used to it myself so you can um play it there's an app you can use on your phone um you can use on desktop um there's all different iterations that you can engage with sort of regardless of the levels of tech you have so I think that was really important to us when we were thinking about how we wanted to do this and the platform we wanted to work with was that accessibility piece because I think that these advancements in technology are incredible and I think that there's a lot of really exciting elements to it in terms of that you know the diversity inclusivity accessibility piece that is so important to Cosmopolitan because obviously you're going into a new world and so that that is in some ways accessible to all and you know whether it's someone with a disability whether there's someone who actually wants to play with a different gender in that world there's there's so much possibility there but I think there's also a lack of accessibility sometimes potentially particularly as we're going into this period of cost of living crisis when it comes to access to tech so I think that was also important to us that we weren't pushing on some uber high-tech platform that needed you know hundreds of pounds of worth of kit to engage with actually with this you can just play it on your mobile phone and it's, it's really good fun so what will be your pitch and you're obviously going to roll it out very soon but what are you going to be telling your readers what are you going to, what's going to be the pitch to them to to encourage them to to get on board i think there isn't one really um you know at the moment that i think it's important to us that we make the environment feel as great as it can do and I think that's why we're kind of at the moment just playing with this demo we really want to make sure that it's as exciting and engaging and interactive as it can be and I think obviously at the moment that's 
a period of time that's going to take some time for us to kind of develop that more hopefully bring some partners on board um, and expand what that looks like we'll obviously promote it to our audience but as I said I think actually with a lot of these things it's not when we launch on a new platform for me it's not about you know pitching our audience and trying to encourage them to go on there because I think we particularly try and experiment on platforms where we know our audience are living and where there is a growing interest anyway to engage with our brand um you know at the end of the day just under half of the world's gaming population is female and actually a cosmopolitan reader is about 22 percent more likely than the national average to to have gaming as a hobby um around half of them have gamed in the last seven days from the research we've done so we know there is a, a huge appetite in our audience for gaming. And so I think it will just be a very natural transition. It's certainly not going to be something that we're going to put a load of, you know, marketing budget behind and try and corral millions of people on there. I think it will hopefully be quite a natural transition. Are you excited about the prospects of the metaverse and what, what it might bring? I am. As I said, I think there's, there's, there's a lot a lot about it's very exciting and a lot about it that's very unknown, I think. Um, I think with any developments in technology, Often the tech moves a lot faster than some of the other thought processes that need to be, you know, uh, taken along with these things. So I am, as I said, I think any any development that, you know, gets us in front of more people, that gives our audience an opportunity to engage with us and kind of, you know, I love the idea, as I said, that we could have Cosmo readers coming and being able to walk through the virtual off cosmopolitan office in the metaverse. I think that level of access and interaction is, is it can't be anything other than exciting. But, um, you know, I think as we've talked about, it's kind of jumping in, playing around, being optimistic and excited about it, but also cautiously considering those other very important topics around accessibility, safety and all of those things as well. Uh, and when you look at the the wider women's magazine media sector, where, where do you see the main challenges and opportunities? So if you take um, the sector as a whole. Well, no tea, no shade. But I I probably see our biggest competitors as as being technology as a whole, really. I think rather than a, any, any other sort of um, particular women's magazine brand, I think that you know, the constant emergence of new tech and new platforms, so much of what happens digitally is controlled, as we talked about, by, you know, Google algorithms, social media algorithms, new tech emerging, new apps, new platforms fighting for our audience's attention. And I think those are the challenges we're going to continue to face over the coming years and the ones we're going to need to keep adapting to. So it's, yeah, you know, I think it, it it's a lot more complicated than that. But Equally, those things are also the things that provide us with great opportunity. You know, fighting for our audience's attention means we have to be the best at what we do. And luckily, I know that we are. And finally, Claire, a question we ask all our guests on the podcast. Outside of work, how do you relax? It takes practice. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a perfectionist and I'm very passionate about my work. So that's probably a bit of a lethal combination and not always particularly conducive to unwinding, I have to say. Um, but for me, it's really my partner, my friends, my family are just an absolute tonic to my soul. Um, they always bring me back to myself and make me laugh. And we always have such a wonderful time together. Um, Aside from that, I'd probably say a good book, binging a TV show, going to the cinema, doing yoga, running and sleeping as long as I have time to sleep, really. I wish I could just make the day longer so I could sleep for 10 hours every night. 
Yeah, we need a few more hours in the day. So <laughs> binge TV series, Netflix series, anything you could recommend? What have you been immersed in recently that you could um, recommend to others? I'm currently, after many, many times of debating whether I should get it, because I think there's absolute platform overload when it comes to streaming services, I finally took the leap and uh, downloaded Apple TV. Uh, and I'm currently midway through Severance and absolutely loving it. So I would thoroughly recommend that. It's very thought-provoking, very fun, very dry and well-written. Um I'm also very throwback of me, but I am for the first time ever, I hate to say, watching The West Wing for the first time and loving it. It's got, it just feels, you can, it's very of its time and I kind of love that about it. It makes me feel very comforted watching it, even though there's some very serious topics in it. Claire, those sound like very good tips. Claire Hodgson, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast. Thanks, James. A final word from our valued podcast sponsor. Air Business is trusted by 4,000 publications and 3 million happy subscribers, with 10 million customer records on file. It processes £500 million each year in 22 currencies and delivers over 300 million items. Find out more at airbusiness.com. Many thanks to Claire for being our guest this time. I particularly liked her emphasis on trust and inclusivity, investing in quality content and remaining relevant. Cosmopolitan's website can be found at cosmopolitan.com forward slash UK. It can also be found on all the main social platforms and, as we just heard, the metaverse too. And of course, you can pick up your print copy from the newsstand today. For more information about us and to listen to previous podcasts, please go to our website in publishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time for another podcast. Bye for now.